0: Section Twenty Three of the Letters of Madame de savigny to Her Daughter and Friends. This is a LibriVox recording. or LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter Seventy Two, Paris, Wednesday, January the Thirty-First, sixteen eighty. It is impossible for me to see your handwriting without emotion. I well know the injury writing does you. And though you say the most affectionate and most amiable things to me possible, I regret exceedingly the purchase of that pleasure at the expense of your lungs. I know you are still far from well. You tell me the weather is extremely mild, and that you do not fatigue yourself, and that you write less than usual. Whence then proceeds this obstinacy in your disorder? You are dumb on the subject, And Mon has the cruelty, though she has the pen in her hand, not to say a single word about it. What is the rest of the world to me? And what pleasure can I receive from the account of all the rejoicings at X, when I find you are obliged to go to bed at eight in the evening? But, say you, do you then wish me to sit up late and fatigue myself? No, my dearest. God forbid I should be capable of forming so depraved a wish. But when you were here, you were not wholly incapable of relishing the sweets of society. I have at length seen Monsieur de God. He told me with great sincerity that you were in a very feeble state in the boat, and that you were much better at X, but then, with the same simplicity, He assures me that the air of Provence is too keen, too piercing, and too drying in your present condition. When we are in health, nothing is amiss. But when the lungs are attacked, and when we are thin and delicate like you, we run the risk of putting it out of our power ever to recover. Tell me no more that the delicacy of your lungs draws our ages nearer together, God forbid that the order established by providence, so agreeable to nature and reason, and at the same time so dear to me, should be deranged with respect to us. I must resume the article of news, which I always suffer to rest a while when I get upon the subject of your health. Monsieur de Luxembourg has been two days without eating. He asked for several Jesuits, but has been refused every one of them. He asked to have the lives of the saints, and it has been given him. You will see he is at a loss to which of the saints he shall devote himself. He was interrogated for four hours on Friday or Saturday, I cannot recollect which. After that, his mind appeared much relieved, and he ate some supper. It is thought he would have done better to have made his innocence take the field and to have left word he would return when his proper judges, footnote the Parliament of Paris, back to main text should think fit to summon him. He has done a real injury to the duke de men acknowledging the chamber but he was willing to yield a blind obedience to the commands of his majesty. Monsieur de Sessac as followed the example of the Countess. Reader's note, the Countess of Soissons, that is, he fled. Back to main text. Mesdames de Bouillon and de Tangri were interrogated on Monday at the Chamber of the Arsenal. Their noble families attended them to the gate. There is yet no appearance of blackness in the follies which have been laid to their charge, nor even so much as a shade of grey. Should nothing further be discovered, this is a scandal which might very well have been spared, especially to families of their high quality. Marshal de Villeroi, footnote: Nicolas de Neufy, Marshal Duc de Villeroi, father to the last Marshal of that name, back to main text, Marshal de Villeroi says, These gentlemen and ladies do not believe in God, though they believe in the devil, in reality, a great many ridiculous things are related respecting the private transactions of these abominable women. Madame de la Ferté, who is so properly named, went out of complacence to la voisin's with the Countess de Soissons, but did not go upstairs. Monsieur de Longres accompanied Madame de la Ferté. This is very black. The circumstance has given her a pleasure not often enjoyed by her, which is, to hear it said, that she is innocent. the amours de Gaulle have rendered notorious her gallantries, which may be called by a term less mild. Back to main text. The Duchess de Bouillon went to ask Lavoisem for a small dose of poison to kill an old, tiresome husband she had and a nostrum to marry a young man she loved. This young man was Monsieur de Vendome, who led her by one hand and Monsieur de Bouillon, her husband, by the other. When a mancine, footnote, Madame de Bouillon as well as the Countess de Soissons, was the niece of Cardinal Mazarin, it will be seen that she was innocent. Back to main text. When the mancine, is guilty only of a folly like this. Information is given of it. And these witches explain it seriously and shock all Europe with a mere trifle. The Countess de Soissons asked whether she could not recover a lover who had deserted her. This lover was a great prince. And it is asserted that she declared unless he returned to her, she would make him repent his ingratitude. That is understood to be the king. Everything is of importance that has relation to him. But let us look to the sequel. If she has committed any greater crime, she has not mentioned it to these baggages. One of our friends says there is an elder branch of the poison to which they never refer, as it is not a native of France. What do we have here our younger branches only without shoes to their feet. La T, footnote Madame de Tangre being named twice in this letter and the preceding one, is it not probable that she is intended by the initial T? She was related to Monsieur Luxembourg, back to main text. La T gives us to understand there is something of greater consequence behind as she was schoolmistress to the novices she says i admire the world it really believes i've had children by monsieur de luxembourg alas god knows whether she has or not the present prevailing opinion however is in favor of the innocence of the persons denounced and a universal horror for the defamous tomorrow it may be the reverse you well know the nature of these general opinions I shall give you a faithful account of them. It is the only subject of conversation here. Indeed, there is scarcely an example of such scandal in any court in Christendom. It is said La Voisin put all the infants whose abortion she had procured into an oven. And Madame de Coulange, as you may suppose, when speaking of La Latise, says it was for her the oven was heating I had a long chat yesterday with Monsieur Le on a subject we have already discussed. There is nothing to oblige you to write, but he entreats you to believe that what would give him the highest gratification in the world would be to have it in his power to contribute to your changing the place of your residence, should an opportunity offer. I never saw so obliging or so amiable a man, What I am going to tell you, I have heard from good authority. Madame de Bouillon entered the chamber like a queen, sat down on a chair placed there on purpose for her, and instead of answering to the first question that was asked her, demanded that what she should say might be taken down in writing. It was, quote, that her sole reason for coming there was from the respect she bore to the king's command, and not in obedience to the chamber, whose authority she in no wise acknowledged, as she would not derogate from the privileges of the dukedom. End Every word was written down. When she took off her glove, she discovered a very beautiful hand, her answers were very sincere those respecting her age not excepted do you know la vigreux no do you know la poisson yes what reason had you to desire the death of your husband desire the death of my husband ask him whether he believes a syllable of it he gave me his hand to the very gate But what was your reason for so often visiting La Voisin? Because I wanted to see those Sibyls, she promised me I should see, a company which certainly well deserved all this noise and scrutiny. Did you not show that woman a bag of money? She answered, I did not, and for more reasons than one. And then... With a smiling and at the same time a disdainful air, Well, gentlemen, have you done with me? Yes, Madame. She rose, and as she was going out, said loud enough to be heard, quote, I really could not have believed that men of sense would have asked so many foolish questions. Unquote. She was received by all her friends and relations with adoration. She was so pretty, easy, natural, firm, unconcerned and tranquil. Footnote, to render this picture complete, it is necessary to cite another stroke related by Voltaire. Quote, La Rénie, one of the presidents of this chamber, was so well advised as to ask the Duchess de Bouillon if she had seen the devil. She replied, that she saw him at that moment, that he was very ugly and very dirty, and was disguised as a councillor of state. The questioner proceeded no further. End quote. Back to main text. La T was by no means so cheerful. Monsieur de Luxembourg is perfectly disconcerted. He is neither a man, nor half a man, nor even a woman unless it be a foolish woman, quote, shut the window, light a fire, give me some chocolate, give me that book. I have abandoned God, and God has abandoned me. End quote. This is the conduct he displayed before Baisemeaux and his commissaries, with a countenance pale as death. There was nothing better than this to carry to the Bastille, he had better have gained time, as the king, with infinite goodness, had put it into his power to do, till the very moment before he committed himself. But we must of necessity have recourse to providence, in spite of our efforts to the contrary. It is by no means natural to behave as he has done, weak as he appears to be. But no, Madame de Savigny seems to have adopted at this moment the ridiculous report spread abroad in regard to Monsieur de Luxembourg. But is it to be credited that a soul like his was capable of such weakness as was laid to his charge? And does it not rather exhibit the common conduct of envy and malignity, which in the lifetime of men of the First Order are incessantly endeavouring to tarnish the lustre of their reputation? Back to main text. I was misinformed. Madame de Mecklenburg has not seen him. And T, who came with him from Saint-Germain, never intended any more than himself to give Madame de Mecklebourg the least notice of it, though he had time enough to have done it, if he had been so inclined. But T kept everyone from seeing him, and watched him so closely that not a soul came to him but herself. I have been to see this Mechelborg at the nunnery of the Holy Sacrament, where she has retired. She is in great affliction and complains loudly of Lati, whom she blames for all her brother's misfortunes. I made your compliments to her by way of anticipation and assured her you would be extremely grieved to hear of her ill fortune. She expressed great regard for you. One might at this time do almost what one pleased at Paris. It would not be noticed. Letter 74 Paris, Wednesday, February 7th, 1680 So, my child, you sometimes play at chess. For my own part, I am an enthusiast in this game and would give the world, if I could learn to play it like my son or you, It is the finest and most rational game of any. Chance has nothing to do with it. We blame or applaud ourselves, and our success depends upon our skill. Corbinelli would fain make me believe I shall acquire it. He says, I have some ideas and schemes of my own, but I cannot see three or four moves forward into the game. I assure you I shall be much ashamed and mortified if I do not at least attain mediocrity. Everyone played it at a Pompon when I was last there, men, women and children. And while the master of the house was beating Monsieur de Chane, he met with a strange check at Saint Germain. There has been a sad, melancholy Monday which you will easily comprehend. Monsieur de Pompon is at length gone to court. He dreaded this very much. You may guess what his thoughts were on the road, and when he beheld the court at Saint-Germain, and received the compliments of the courtiers who surrounded him, he was quite overcome. And when he entered the chamber where the king was waiting for him, what could he say, or how begin? The king assured him he had always been satisfied of his fidelity and services that he was perfectly at ease as to the state secrets he was acquainted with, and that he would give him and his family proofs of his regard. Monsieur de Pompon could not help shedding tears when he mentioned the misfortune he had to incur his displeasure. He added that with respect to his family, he left it entirely to his majesty's goodness, that his only grief was the being removed from the service of a master to whom he was attached as well by inclination as duty, that it was next to impossible not to feel so heavy a loss in all its severity, that this cut him to the quick and caused him to betray those marks of weakness which he hoped his majesty would forgive. The king told him he was himself affected at them, that they proceeded from goodness of heart, and that he ought not to be offended the whole discourse turned on this and Monsieur de pompom came away with eyes somewhat red and the looks of a man who had not merited his misfortune he told me all this yesterday evening he could have wished to have been more firm but he could not get the better of his emotion this is the only occasion in which he has appeared too much affected though it might be said he had not paid his court badly if to pay court had been his object, he will soon recover his philosophy. And in the meantime, an affair of some importance is concluded. These are renewals which we cannot have feeling with him. Madame de Vins has been at Saint-Germain. Good God, what a difference! She had attentions and i paid her but to reflect that that had been her home, where she has not now a corner to shelter her head in. I felt what she underwent in that journey. Adieu, my beloved child. I am always impatient to hear from you and pray, write only two words to me. Renounce long letters forever and spare me. It is horrible to think that those who love you and who are beloved by you should be the ruin of your health. Letter 75 Paris, Friday, February the 9th, 1680 I see you are in the midst of the pleasures of the carnival, my beautiful dear. You give little private suppers to eighteen or twenty ladies. I'm well acquainted with your mode of life and the heavy expenses you incur at X, but yet... Amid all this bustle, I fancy you contrive to have plenty of rest. We say sometimes, I will have pleasure for my money. But I think I hear you say, I will have rest for mine. Take your rest, then, and enjoy at least this advantage. I cannot help being surprised that a minuet tune does not tempt you sometimes. What? Not a single step, no motion of the shoulders, quite insensible. It is not to be believed, it is unnatural. I never yet knew you to sit still on these occasions, and were I to draw such inferences as I commonly do, I should imagine you much worse than you say you are. There was yesterday evening an enchanting entertainment at the Hotel du Condé, the Princess of Conti, named one of the Duke's daughters, with the Prince de la Roche-sur-Yonne, 1st was the christening, then the dinner. But what a dinner! Then a play! But what a play! Interspersed with fine pieces of music and the best opera dances. A theatre built by the fairies. Such perspectives... Orange trees loaded with fruits and flowers, festoons, pilasters, scenes, and other decorations. In short, the whole expense of the evening cost no less than 2,000 Louis d'or, all for the sake of the pretty princess. The opera of Proserpine is superior to every other. The Chevalier tells me he has sent you several of the airs, and that he saw a gentleman footnote Kino, back to main text, who said he had sent you the words. I dare say you will like it. There is a scene in it, footnote, see the second scene of the first act, back to main text, between Mercury and Ceres, which requires no interpreter to be understood. It must have been approved, since it has been performed, but you will judge for yourself. The poisoning affair is grown quite flat. Nothing new is said of it. The report is that there will be no more blood spilled. You will make your own reflections as we do. The Abbe Corbert is made coadjutor of Rouen. They talk of a journey into Flanders. No one knows what this assembling of forces portends. Friar Ange has raised Marshal de Belfort from the dead. He has cured his lungs that were incurable. Madame de coulanges and I have been to visit the Grand Master, footnote, the Duke de Lude, back to main text, who has been almost at death's door for a fortnight past. His gout has returned, and to this an oppression which made everyone suppose he was at his last gasp, Cold sweats, light-headedness—in short, he was ill as it was possible to be. The physicians could give him no relief. He sent for Friar Ange, who has cured him, and brought him from the very gates of death by the gentlest and most agreeable medicines. The oppression went off, the gout fell back into his knees and feet, and he is now out of danger. Adieu, my dear child, I still lead the same life, either in the suburbs or with these good widows, sometimes here, sometimes eating chicken with Madame de Coulange, but always pleased to think I am gliding down the stream with old time and hastening the happy moment when I shall see you again. End of section 23